This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. Emmanuel, God with us. What are the implications of the gratitude we must have as God's children? We must appreciate the important question, or this important question in our Christmas season. From our gospel today, we read that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Coupled with the lesson today in Galatians, the coming of Jesus Christ means we're no longer slaves of this world of sin and death. We are now the dearly adopted children of God through Jesus Christ, heirs of everlasting life. We hear and we read these truths every Christmas season. But what are the implications of these truths for us? Are we grateful? Or do we take the Christmas message of God with us to save us, to make us his children for granted? In putting away all the Christmas decor for the season, do we also put away our gratitude to go back to the normal path of our existence, the normal path of this culture of ingratitude? With every plastic tub or box filled with lights, ornaments, and other Christmas symbols dear to our families, do we also place our sincerity, obedience, and reliance upon Jesus Christ away to be brought out only next year? For some, the birth message of Jesus is relegated to this time of year where there's urgency of setting time apart to be with family or maybe even the inconvenience of going to a church service or two, and then it's placed back into boxes, into our attics and storage sheds. This morning, let us reflect as grateful children upon the fact that God is indeed with us in Jesus Christ through focusing our attention on the psalm today, Psalm 84. Gratitude begets faithful worship. Verses 1 through 4 of the psalm today speaks of the blessings of dwelling in the courts of Almighty God. For us as Christians, we have many names that we give to our places of worship. Some that come to mind are sanctuary, house of prayer, the Lord's house, house of worship, the church, and so forth. The church in Holy Scripture means an assembly of people gathered together for the specific purpose of worshiping Almighty God. Worship implies that we are together in community. For us, we must ask, where is our primary dwelling place to worship? Our worship of God throughout the rest of our lives flows from our Sunday worship, our Sunday, Sunday gathering of hearing his word read and preached and partaking of his sacrament. Our lives, our words, are acts of worship. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20 states, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. For those that say that they can worship Almighty God on a Sunday morning all alone in a fishing boat, <laughs> The implications of scripture are much different. Worship occurs in community with other people. His dwelling among us implies gathering. 
We do ourselves a disservice to shun fellow Christians on the Lord's day in the pursuit of other things. In verse 1 of the psalm, we see the state of the dwelling place of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The beauty and loveliness of the dwelling place of the Lord, where we gather to worship, is important. It speaks to our call to do all we can possibly do to make his worship place, the place that he has granted us, as beautiful as possible within our means. It means we are to maintain the beauty and the loveliness as a place of refuge, a place to worship in the beauty of holiness, to be at home in God's home, God's house. This is why we look to our status as members of the body of Christ in the church, not mechanically or not in a business-like manner, but as a family. As we read in Galatians, the heirs of God. God's house, his place where we gather, should instill what we read in verse 2 of the psalm today. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Sometimes in an effort to make sure we are not putting rote obedience to our coming to worship in a specific place, the church has overcorrected to the point some make it sound like a place of worship is not very important. Yet the two or three gathering together stated in Matthew 18 implies that we need to meet somewhere. For us, we gather in a sanctuary. We gather at the Lord's house to worship in spirit and truth. The place where we go to worship, the dwelling of God, was an important matter during the English Reformation of the 16th century. It was so important that it was placed a homily in the book of homilies that is mentioned in the Articles of Religion, was written to exhort the people to maintain their property, their churches, to make sure they were beautiful and lovely for the worship of God. That's why I've handed out today that actual homily from the 16th century for your reading and your edification. Note the following point concerning worshiping in light of Matthew 18.20 from this homily. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst among them. A great number, therefore, coming to church together in the name of Christ, have there, that is to say, in the church, their God and Savior Christ Jesus present among the congregation of his faithful people by his grace, by his favor and godly assistance, according to his most assured and comfortable promises. Why then ought not Christian people to build them temples and churches, having as great promises of the presence of God as ever had Solomon for the material temple which he did build? Seeing the place we worship as important, as sacred, is critical. In such an outlook, we enter these doors with the mindset of praise, of joy, of worship. The imagery of longing fainting and singing for joy from the heart with our physical bodies in God's house implies that we, we feel safe here, safe in the care of God, unlike any other place. The place of worship is supposed to be special. Verse 3 speaks even of the lowly sparrow and swallows finding refuge and a home in the house of God. The point here is that the worshiping place of God is to be welcoming, even to the lowest of the low, the smallest birds that we can think of, the swallows, the sparrows. This means for us as God's people, members of the body of Christ in our parish, we are also called 
to be welcoming, even to the lowliest of the humble, ready to teach, ready to baptize, ready to disciple God, those that God has brought into our house, into his house. This is in concert with our Old Testament reading today from Isaiah 29, verse 22. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Often when we as the church stumble, we do so through thinking we have to keep certain types of people out. That we have the corner and the ability to see within the hearts of people. All the while we are sinning through looking to outward appearances, social status of people to determine if they are in or out or not. St. James warned of this very thing in his epistle about the sin of partiality. Verse 4 closes this section as it began speaking of the dwelling place of God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Notice that verse 1 spoke of the place of worship as God's dwelling place. And that now in verse 4, we as the adopted children of God and Jesus Christ dwell here as well. And dwelt by the Spirit, wherever two or three are gathered in his name. We are God's dear family in need of a place to dwell. We are in need of a place for the purpose of divine worship. Our next section in verse 80, or Psalm 84 and verses 5 through 9 speaks of the point that as God's children, we go from strength to strength in him. Blessed even as we travel to Zion to worship. Through his sustaining grace. As verse 5 notes, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. The imagery here ties in the fact that God blesses the paths that we take, even to travel to his place of worship. We enter his gates with thanksgiving by his provision, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, implies a heart willing and wanting to travel to the Lord's house to ascent to his table, to ascent to his temple to worship. Our prayers should imply a longing to worship, a longing even to travel to his house out of a loving desire and not compulsion. For us and in many places of Christian worship in our own country, the blessings even of traveling to his church for worship are well needed, yet also well neglected. I've heard stories of Anglican priests from, from our own country that were invited to preach at cathedrals in Africa and Anglican churches, where they noted most of the worshipers walked many, many, many miles just to attend a Sunday morning service. The people, as they walked, grew in number. And he noted as they grew in number, as large crowds headed to the cathedral, they would sing hymns of praise, such as the Te Deum, as they marched to church. Even their travel to church was blessed in praise and worship in anticipation of entering his house. Verse 6 of our psalm notes, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. And as verse 7 continues, we go from strength to strength in his grace. Think about it. How do we view our traveling to church on a Sunday morning? Do we ask for grace and mercy as we arise to seek to do his work in preparing ourselves and our families to get ready to travel, to get ready 
to worship? Do we think to pray before we turn on the ignition to our vehicles that God would bless our journey? That God would grant us safety? Do we keep him at the forefront of our hearts and our minds as we drive, preparing our hearts to enter his sanctuary? If you think about it, place Psalm 122 verse 1 at the forefront of your journey to worship. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Every moment God gives us is meant to bestow grace and mercy. Even the thousands of mundane moments we all have that we all so often choose to spoil rather than to enjoy to his glory. Verses 10 through 12 close this psalm speaking of the blessing we have in trusting God, keeping up his house of worship as King Josiah did after the temple fell into disrepair was an act of trust. It was faithfulness. Worshiping him in his house is an act of trust. Traveling to his sanctuary is trust in a world that tells us to go elsewhere on Sunday morning. When we arrive and worship him, verse 10 takes root. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The constant temptation we face is that of where we choose to dwell in this world full of wicked dwellings. Where we spend our time in terms of dwelling is critical. If we constantly th seek things outside of Christ, outside of his church, we will be spiritually malnourished. Our membership as the body of Christ is the place he has called us to be, to be in a sacred place. To the point we set aside our time to worship through longing through spending time where two or three are gathered in his name to be fed by his word, by his sacrament. This is trust. The time God uses with us in worship is meant to prepare our hearts and our minds to face this wicked world around us, to confront sin with the gospel of peace. Our worship is meant to be a time that we long for, where we feel as if one day is better than a thousand elsewhere. As verse 11 states, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In such love of God for us, we are built up in our trust for him. In this, we are made ready to go forth to draw others to the house of the Lord. We are called to call others to the same reality we experience in coming to Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Isaiah 29, 24 reminds us, And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. We all battle spiritually with the world, the flesh, and the devil that demands our time, that demands that we neglect Jesus Christ, that we neglect his worship, that we just place it back in a box at the end of a season. Yet repeatedly he calls us that have gone astray to come back to understanding his loving grace and mercy. He calls us back that have murmured in rebellion against him to accept his loving instruction. We are blessed throughout life in Jesus Christ as we go through difficulties, ever being molded in his loving care and his rescue and in his gracious instruction. On this first Sunday after Christmas, let us keep the feast as we are called. 
Let us shun the ways of this world that places faithful and trusting worship of God into boxes to be put into storage until the next Christmas season. Let us be grateful for the house of worship God has called us to worship in and to maintain to his glory. Let us even be mindful in our traveling here to worship that we ask for grace in preparing our tr- as we travel. Let us trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and King and trusting even our time to give to him in worship. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen.